You're listening to Incredibles with Jasmine Arch and Damon J. Quinn. Welcome to Incredibles with me, Damien J. Clay, and I'm here with... Jasmine Arch, and we've got a special guest for you. Special guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, most everybody knows me as AK Sounder on Discord and Steemit. Uh, and it's a pleasure to all sit down and talk. Last time out, uh, we did a Chuck Wendig article, which was Jasmine's choice. And today we're going to be looking at uh, one of my choices. But first of all, let's just go around and ask. Jasmine, how's your writing week been? Both intense and very hard at the same time because my day job week has been exhausting. Um, And just today I finished, I think, draft four of um, an almost 6,000 word story. So... For someone who doesn't get to do a lot of writing during the week, that's a lot. Um, and I think my brain juice is running out for the weekend. And how about you, AK? How's the writing week going? Uh, can you maybe ask me this question next week? This, this week's not the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel uh, you. Things, like, like Jasmine, things have been just kind of crazy with real life. Um, you know, if, you, if you're at the incubator, you know, I've been flying to Seattle doing various job interviews and then real life job has been uh, pretty busy as well. Plus school started and my wife and I have two lovely children that we homeschool. So things have been very busy this last week. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess people won't know if they're not part of the incubator that you are our very own action hero uh, fr- from Alaska. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure. It sounds good that way. It sounds more exciting. <laughs> but but as, as far as writing, um, I've put some short stories I'd like to continue working on on the back burner, uh, but then making some good progress on what I hope to be my first novel. Uh, well, my first novel that I want to seek publication with. Uh, so I'm at 10,000 words, finished my third chapter, and the scenes are really, really coming together just very naturally. The story's developing so well i'm just trying to keep up with it rather than trying to fight my way through it so that's that's great to experience as a writer that's really good well my my week has been pretty much plagued by the stress of uh, waiting to hear back from pitch wars which i've entered uh, a novel into yeah i've been trying to do some writing i've got maybe a couple of thousand words written of my new project but it's been very slow and and certain people have been telling me i need a break so you were hitting it pretty hard there for a while Certain people would be very right. Uh, <laughs> or human, I hope. Well, yeah, that's debatable. Anyway, uh, so this uh, this week we're going to be looking at one of my choices, and it's an essay written a very long time ago by Ralph Waldo Emerson, and it's called Self-Reliance. Now, it isn't directly about writing, but it's one of the most essential pieces I've read, which has influenced the way I write, and also sort of the inner game of writing for me how did you how did you both find it jasmine um i i loved it um and it sort of it rang true it definitely did um i actually read parts of it before when i was writing that tiny teacher's article mirror mirror on the wall and you actually shared some excerpts with me and based on those i sort of read a few more pieces of the essay and i actually ended up using them quite a few of them in the article and just reading the whole thing is like it's not a life changer because i already felt that way in large part but it's 
it was very very interesting to read In- interesting yeah i remember pointing you towards a, a few of a few of uh, the quotes from that from that piece so how about you ak what did you think of it well, at first I thought, wow, this is quite a selection. Um, not not a can of worms, more like the entire mound of worms. Um, and they just want to talk about writing. Well, this is going to be tough. <laughs> but I, I, I enjoyed the read. Um, yeah, at, at times it was certainly hard to focus and, and take away, like, what am I getting as a writer out of this? Because it is such a broad sweeping essay about everything in life in general. Um you know, in the past, I've been familiar with excerpts and a few of the most famous lines out of it, but this is the first time I'd actually read the whole thing. So, yeah, I feel like I definitely got a lot of points to talk about today, but I'm still going to have to leave such a large portion of it untouched. <laughs> well, yeah, you could talk about this for hours and, and not run out of material. So we can possibly discuss all of it, but yeah, let's let's get to work because I'm excited about it. Okay, well, um, I'd like to kick us off with something from quite early on in the piece. And I'll, I'll just read this out and then we can talk about it. There is a time in every man's education when he arrives at the conviction that envy is ignorance, that imitation is suicide, that he must take himself, for better or for worse, at his portion. That though the wide universe is full of good, no kernel of nourishing corn can come to him, but through his toil bestowed on that plot of ground which is given to him to till. The power which resides in him is new in nature, and none but he knows what that is which he can do. Nor does he know until he has tried. Not for nothing, one face, one character, one fact makes much impression on him and another none. This scripture in the memory is not without pre-established harmony. The eye was placed where one ray should fall that it might testify of that particular ray. I find that very empowering uh, in terms of my inner game of writing and, and my own personal philosophy of why I write. Two, two reasons. One, one is a very comforting feeling that all those writers that I grew up reading and, you know, I could easily say I feel very jealous of their ability and I feel very jealous of the work they've done and envious, in fact. And those, those are elements that have made, made me driven to write. That now I see things in a different way that I, I shouldn't be focusing on them so much as I should be focusing on myself and, and, and what I do. That's, that's the first part. And the, the second part is really that I have something to say. I am a writer, I, I have a life, I see things in a, in a different way than anyone else. I have a unique perspective, everybody does. But it's, it's the, I think it's the recognition of that and establishing that as a reality for yourself that gives you confidence or can give you confidence to put your own work out there and, and the absolute belief that, or the knowledge that what you've got to say is something important. Yeah, I like that you uh, selected this part to share. I can't imagine that uh, there would be one amongst us that hadn't highlighted or put notes on this section here. Um, but yeah, and then it, it kind of continues and echoes here. Uh, I, I had a, quite a few lines from that paragraph specifically highlighted, um, but the eye was placed where one ray should fall, that it might testify of that particular ray. And then later at the beginning of the next paragraph, except the place the divine providence has found you. Uh, you know, each person's life has a unique viewpoint. And that's what I really like about that line about the eye was placed where one ray might fall, that it might testify to that particular ray. You know, nobody else has seen what you've seen. Nobody else has experienced what you experience. You know, even if we were in the same place at the same time, saw the same things, your past, your life is going to have a unique takeaway from that. Um, so if you accept that and you're confident with that truth, 
and let it come through in your writing, that's when you really develop something unique and, and it strengthens your writing. Start where you are. Don't wait or think you need something or that you're not good enough. No one else has the bag of tools in your brain right from there. You know, you could spend ages and ages doing writing exercises and trying to learn. And as, as we all know with writing, learning is an ongoing process. And one of the best ways you can learn is through practice. So I, I think that's right. I think you shouldn't wait. I, I think no matter where you are in your journey and with your abilities of being a writer, you should start writing. You should start getting stuff down. Jasmine, what do you think of that section? I really, really liked it. Um, it was actually one of the sections I used in my article. I wrote that article inspired by one of the members of the incubator who was sort of looking at other people's writing and thinking, God, I'm not, I'm not that good. I can't do that. The whole point I was trying to get across, and it's just summarized perfectly in that one passage, is that you shouldn't do what other people do you should do what you do and you should trust in yourself but if there if there were a a tenet to writing if there was a basic rule these would form two of them very powerful ones first of all write yourself as as emerson later says insist on yourself but also have the knowledge that, that that's important that you have something to say that no one else can yeah absolutely I agree too, and uh, your guys' statements, what you're sharing here, kind of leads right into the next thing that I've highlighted and would like to touch on in this essay. What I must do is all that concerns me, not what people think. It is the harder, because you will always find those who think they know what is your duty better than you know it. But the great man is he who, in the midst of the crowd, keeps with perfect sweetness the independence of solitude. And I just think that goes right along with uh, what you guys were saying. You know, you need to represent yourself in your writing and, and write from what you know and where you are. And people will sometimes disguise an attempt to shape your ideas into their own in the guise of feedback. So I think the most constructive feedback, the best criticism I receive on a piece is when a writer comes alongside you and they help you with your idea rather than coming in and telling you, well, I think maybe you should do this or, or change this or do that instead. So that's, that's nice when you have a, a partner to help you in your writing that facilitates you uh, rather than trying to maybe tell you that they know better than you do. Okay, you stole my thing. I had that highlighted. <laughs> I also had that highlighted, believe it or not. That was my next one I was going to go to. So it, it, it looks like this, you know, the, uh, the parts that are resonating here are, are probably quite universal for writers. I, again, I think this is very essential to writing. It's where he says it's easy in the world to live after the world's opinion. It's easy in solitude to live after our own. And it, isn't this the exact process, you know, when, when we're writing our first drafts, when we're sitting there by ourselves and thinking and, and putting our words down on the page? This this might be the, the perfect reenactment of that idea, of that line. We have these ideas and we put them down because sometimes you think people are going to think it's ridiculous. Or people people aren't going to get it but we we have to have that confidence we have to eliminate doubt from our mind when we're doing our first drafts because when we don't that's when they stall that, yeah absolutely well said and and i agree that the confidence is key there because sometimes you can feel that you're in the midst of the crowd you know and having that feeling of solitude but i love how he says here like embrace the solitude you know grow in it 
and what I also think is interesting here is that I kind of wrote in the margins here. I, I started to creep up with another thought. Self-reliance, it, it is kind of key to being a writer, but also it doesn't work as a writer. There's a, there's a duality of it in that you need feedback and you need editing um, because I know that we've all experienced having a piece that you're proud of and excited about. And then it goes through a couple of rounds of editing and you're, you're just blown away at how much it's improved and that it's better than, than you could have done alone. Yeah, I think that's a, a separate part of the process. I mean, we could, we could probably identify that as saying that, you know, once you've written your first draft, once you're happy with it, then is the time to kind of send it into the world. But Emerson talks about charity. And he says that there's a group of people who, you know, he'll um, live and die for. And I think that could well be how I feel about, you know, the people in the incubator, especially when it comes to sharing work and editing work. We're all doing the same thing. We're all heading in the same direction, though we're doing it in different ways. We we have this common ground where we come together and share work and we learn and we teach and we, we grow as writers. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I, I agree. That's that's a good distinction, too. With the first draft, you know, it's kind of like there's the two phases of being a writer. And, and I think that the points that Emerson makes here in his essay are even more uh, encouraging or, or even better for when you're starting out or you're a starting writer or you're writing that first big first draft. Yeah, I, I, the other thing I get from this is that, you know, writers are nonconformists. At our very hearts, we have to be nonconformists because we're trying to be original. We're trying to break the mold. We're trying to, we're trying to say things that only we've seen. And a lot of that will probably go against, you know, common thought, common belief, ideas that are largely held by society we may see things in entirely different ways and so we have to be nonconformists. yeah exactly and writing because we want to touch on maybe parts of society that also want to go overlooked because it's easier not to talk about it well yeah i um i highlighted a section on that every true man is a cause a country and an age requires infinite spaces and numbers and time fully to accomplish his design. And posterity seemed to follow his steps as a train of clients. A man, Caesar, is born, and for ages after, we have Roman Empire. Christ is born, and million, millions of minds so grow and cleave to his genius that he is confounded with virtue and the possible of man. But the people who follow others, like Christ, Caesar, or any any founders of religions and sects, those aren't the people who end up becoming writers. The people who who lead, the people who innovate and who imagine, that's sort of what we have to try to do in our own way, I think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, another, an, another little note I've put down by this section is that writers are social legislators who rock the status quo. Now, I guess... Not all of them do, but I, I think it's one of the things that come again, coming back to writing ourselves and writing what we see. An, an important part of that is expressing things that need to be expressed that, that maybe aren't wide held views. It may be something that's happening locally where you live is an issue that isn't getting any exposure at all. And if you don't write that, who is going to write that? So speaking along the lines on how conforming is such a strong theme of Emerson's piece here. I suppose no man can violate his nature. We pass for what we are. 
Men imagine that they communicate their virtue or vice only by overt actions. The whole paragraph resonates on the same idea that I got the impression of when you write, you know, it's, it's difficult to avoid the urge to conform in our lives. Uh, but when you write your nature and your raw being move freely, you can, you can explore your thoughts freely uh, without that urge to conform. So I think that's why it's difficult for a lot of new writers to take that step. And it's a huge step when you're a new writer to go from just writing things and, and trying things out to sharing it with someone else and then getting feedback. Uh, because, you know, what you're giving them is basically a representation of your raw self. It's, it's a look into who you really are on the inside. Potentially, I'm, I'm sure we've all been in a position where we're potentially worried about one particular thing we've written and, and what people might think of it, that it's, it, it might be an idea so out there or so outrageous, you don't know if it's going to confuse, offend, a, a lot of other things, potentially, other people. Man is timid and apologetic. He is no longer upright. He dares not say, I think, I am, but quote some saint or sage. He is ashamed before the blade of grass or the blowing rose. These roses under my window make no reference to former roses or to better ones. They are for what they are. They exist with God today. There is no time to them. There is simply the rose. It is perfect in every moment of its existence. A lot of, of, of the, the essay has so many different layers to it. And what stuck out at me in this section is that as a writer, you can take that very literal and very apply it in a practical way. He describes the little moments and the little details that can really help your writing come to life. Because if you do acknowledge like wet grass beneath your toes and, and the scent of rain, you can really put your readers in the scene together with you. I don't know how, how to explain what I mean, but this is, is both a theoretical and a practical um, sort of thing to apply to your writing and to your life, I think. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about Emerson is that on the face of it, particularly self-reliance and nature, they, they seem you know, very abstract. But actually, after you've read it a few times, you start to see that it's very practical, that the advice being handed out here is actually quite direct. I'm also aware of the irony from, from that quote. We quote some sage or some wise man, and that's exactly what we're doing here. <laughs> um, but, but I don't feel bad about it because the usual, the usual kind of advice from, from sages and wise people is probably not to rock the boat, is to, is to be a specific thing. And Emerson here is telling us, be, be yourself. Don't be a specific thing. Don't, don't, don't yeah. take wisdom just because some wise guy said it. You know, work it out for yourself and, and insist on yourself. I bring us back to a piece that I've highlighted here where he talks about, you know, one of the states of humanity. And he says uh, to him, a palace, a statue or a costly book have an alien and forbidding air, much like a gay equipage and seem to say that, who are you, sir? Yet they are all his suitors for his notice, petitioners to his fac uh, faculties that they will come out and take possession. The picture waits for my verdict. It is not to command me, but I am to settle 
its claims to praise. And this, again, it takes us back to this whole idea of us as individuals and our position. I think when you when you do start writing, you do look at other writers' work and you, and you say, I wish I could write like that. And as you start writing, you probably start, not, maybe not even intentionally, but I know the first the first time I was writing and I I went on a bit of a Stephen King kick, my writing suddenly started to take on a very Stephen King like feel, and it wasn't intentional. I think it's unavoidable. So, I I think the point here is that we we need that kind of disconnection from the work of other writers, even though, you know, as writers we should read as we're establishing ourselves, our own writing identity and our own writing voice, I think we do need a disconnection. I think we do need to say pretty much, you know, fuck you to any other writing while we're trying to establish who we are as a writer. It's a scary thing to do, but it's definitely the right thing to do. It's like taking off the training wheels, I guess, and and to stop leaning on, on examples and just doing you. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'm glad, Damien, that you said there that reading is still important because as writers, we should read, but it, it does become easy again, that, that conforming, that trap of, of social circles of, oh, this writer has won so many awards or they've published, you know, how many books in the last five years and, and just to fall into that trap. So you need to read, but not get sucked into the cult of authors, I guess, or the cult of uh, famous author worship. <laughs> and then comparing yourself to that, because it's, it's a pitfall. It really is. Um, I, I, one, of, one interesting quote from uh, one of my tutors, um, a poetry tutor, Tim Liade used to say, the more you read collections of poetry, the more you start to sound like yourself. This is going off off track a little bit, but I, I find it interesting in the same way I think that would apply to being a, a novelist is if, if you only read Stephen King, for example, you, you'd probably sound quite a lot like Stephen King. But the more you read around, the more you read stuff that's kind of out of your comfort zone, the more you start to sound like yourself because the less influenced you are by any one particular thing and the more exposure you've had to all different kinds of writing, all different kinds of techniques and all different kinds of approaches. Well said. Absolutely agree. Yeah. You know, the, just the pressures of the outside world that you struggle to avoid comparing yourself with. Uh, this is the paragraph where Emerson is talking about the rose under his window and just how there is no time to them. It, it just exists as it is, perfect in every moment. Its nature is satisfied, and it satisfies nature in all moments alike. But man postpones or remembers. He does not live in the present, but with reverted eye laments the past or heedless of the riches that surround him, stands on tiptoe to foresee the future. He cannot be happy and strong until he too lives with nature in the present, above time. Well, maybe, maybe that is that is it. Maybe we have to be forward-looking. And this whole idea of, that we give too much reverence to the work of others, and you know all these things have this forbidding air, that's part of it, that we can say, yeah, this book is great and it's influenced me, but it's not... It's, it's the past, and, and I need to be writing the future. Yeah, and, and if your goal is to publish a novel mainstream, you know, don't be caught up in, well, I have nothing published now, and, you know, I just struggling with that, you just, you just write now, in the moment, 
and and don't don't hold yourself back by maybe feeling like you've you've failed to have anything published at this moment or just thinking about how hard of a goal that is to obtain and you know why is that your goal because it's something that so many other writers you look up to have achieved so you just need to write right now <laughs> absolutely i'm looking at a highlighted section that ties into that perfectly the other terror that scares us from self-trust is our consistency a reverence for our past act or word because the eyes of others have no other data for computing our orbits than our past acts, and we are loath to disappoint them. But why should you keep your head over your shoulder? Why drag about this corpse of your memory, lest you contradict somewhat you have stated in this or that public place? Suppose you should, co you should contradict yourself. What then? It seems to be a rule of wisdom never to rely on your memory alone, scarcely even in acts of pure memory, but to bring the past for judgment into the thousand-eyed present and live ever in a new day. As a writer, there's two ways in which I think our past, our history, can paralyze us. I've heard one of the Inklings actually say, wow, that was such a good story I wrote back then. I don't think I'll ever be able to beat that, and I keep comparing everything to that. You need to trust yourself and you need to trust that you can write what you need to write or what you want to write or the way you want to write it right now. And you, you can't look back. The other thing is like looking back at a story you wrote a year ago, six months ago and think, oh, God, that's bad. Oh, I'm so <laughs> that's my pitfall um, for sure. But it's at the same time. I've, I've decided to not let that paralyze me anymore. And because I'm so aware of kicking myself whenever I read something I've written a while ago, this paragraph really stuck out at me. I think that's an ongoing problem that we have to face as writers, and I don't think that's ever going to change. Because we're continually growing and developing our craft, I think when we look back at anything we did six months ago, from whatever point in our, in our writing lives, we're going to feel a little bit of... Um, disappointment i guess and but maybe that's a good thing maybe if if you do look back on your old work and you say you know i could have done this better i could have done that better all it means is that you've grown that you you have continued to grow as a writer so maybe that's positive well it is positive if you approach it in in with the right attitude um but what i tend to do is let it paralyze me and to forget the growth i've i've gone through since writing it, and I tend to go back to, oh God, I wrote that. I'm, I suck, um, and that's something I continually have to be aware of. For myself, well, I think you have our you have, you have our permission to now look at those experiences as, oh man, look at how much better I've gotten. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I think well, what I'm getting from this section is that we need some kind of disconnection. Um, Absolutely. And, and maybe maybe that comes back down to the whole idea of solitude. We need a disconnection from not only the work of others, but our, our past work. Yeah, his word pictures. He has so many awesome word pictures in here, but you really got to like the one in this section here in reference to what we're talking about, dragging around the corpse of your memories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I've always loved this. I've always loved this particular section, even in non-writing terms, because... For, uh, until you get past it until you get past yourself for some reason we do feel like we should stick by ideas we've held in the past 
just forget about the past if we have one idea say that idea today and if, if our idea changes then say the new idea tomorrow i know he goes on later to say you know well what if we're misunderstood and he says well you know jesus was misunderstood every great mind that's ever existed has been misunderstood to be great is to be misunderstood yeah absolutely what i love about this entire essay is how it applies not only to writing but to just life I suppose for us as writers, writing is life. I keep thinking of something I learned when I was still a member of a pagan coven. As above, so below. The rules and the philosophies you apply to a greater part of the world also apply to a smaller scale. And I think the entire essay works that way. It works on, on how you, you stand in life and how you approach the world, as well as writing. How you approach words on a page there is a, a, a certain universality to this i mean for the right person i could imagine someone would read this and think what no, I, 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 I yeah i don't like this at all and you know society should be totally respected and we should conform but i i don't think you can be a writer and be a conformist i think you can only be a writer and be a non-conformist uh, or, or uh, the kind of writer that i'd like to read anyway on, on that note, there's a section I'd like to look at. Let a stoic open the resources of man and tell men they are not leaning willows, but can and must detach themselves, that with the exercise of self-trust, new powers shall appear, that a man is the word made flesh, born to shed healing to the nations, that he should be ashamed of our compassion, and that the moment he acts for himself, tossing the laws, the books, idolatries, and customs out of the window, we pity him no more, but thank and revere him, and that teacher shall restore the life of man to splendour and make his name dear to all history. That might sound quite far away from writing, but again, I think it isn't. I think it's all about us as writers and how our words can empower other people. Um, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this in the last podcast, but I'm going to come back to this quote again. There's a fantastic book called The Joy of Writing Sex, and the name of the author uh, I'm, I, I can't quite remember at the moment, but one of the things that she says at the beginning is that if, you, if you're a writer, go write to the hardest thing that you have, you know, the, the thing that's the most difficult to say, the thing that you wouldn't tell your best friend or, or your partner, the thing that, you, that burns you inside. Go write to that and write that. That's what you want to write because that's the bit which is the genius. That's the bit that is your take, your position, your experience. And that someone else reading it, who, who might not even have the courage to confront that in themselves, will read it and it will do exactly that. You, you'll become a teacher who shall restore the life to, of man to splendour. You'll provide somebody with something that they couldn't have got to by themselves. It's both humbling and daunting to think that that is something we we hope to do try to do but we should definitely never lose sight of that okay with the, with the life that you lead and the job that you have you know you see so much stuff that most people aren't aware of yeah and you know what's funny about that though is a lot of times like the longer i've been in this job it's it's like you 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 recognize that less i guess you you the uncommon for everyone else just becomes so common to you that it 
that it starts to become less unique uh, in your eyes? In order to keep doing that job, you need to sort of dull your senses to it just a bit. Yeah, and you know what's funny about it too is a lot of people would think, oh, you must get so many writing ideas just from, from your day-to-day. Um, but actually, with like what I'm writing now, um, it's still that personal, th- those personal things. Like you were saying earlier, Damien, you know, what you had read, uh, write what you wouldn't tell your best friend. Like, go there, use that, and write that. Um, and, and that's what my, you know, the current novel I'm working on. And that, I think that's just why it's working out so well. It's really coming along well. Um, and so that still ends up being the fuel for my writing. But, you know, that's not to say that the experiences that I encounter every day also don't help uh, on the periphery and, and just having uh, more little tidbits of ideas or just understanding and seeing things of how you might you might have a full picture from your perspective, um, but then having to understand what it might look like from someone else's perspective in the situation. You know, not not talking about things in terms of writing nuggets and you know writing fodder, but but in terms of the emotional reality and the emotional and you know intellectual truths that you see d- doing the job that you do, and of course these things. None of these things you have to write directly, but I'm guessing they just these ideas influence your work. Yes, I, I think it kind of ends up with the overall impression of how amazing it is. What what sorts of difficulty people can persevere through, uh, and that overall the tale may be a tragedy, uh, but finding you know, success and happiness in the midst of it. So so I understand that how you can become inure to the things that you see every day. But yet again, I, I think this is one of the reasons this is so important is because writing is having the respect for the fact that you are writing the self, that these are the things you do see. And even though you might say, well, you know, I see this all the time. Everybody must know this. They don't. <laughs> and... and you have the unique perspective to give people more than those stories, but just the emotional realities that they, they place people in, because those are the important things. You know, I could write a story about something from my life and it's not that somebody else would understand the story necessarily, but they just understand the emotional reality. They'd understand what it's like to fear. They'd understand what it's like to feel shame. They'd understand what it's like to feel guilt. And those are the things I think that we draw from our own lives is that ability to show people the human side of things and, and, and how they actually feel, how things realistically are, rather than just a story you might have borrowed from somewhere or, or seen yourself and said, oh, that would, make a good, that would make a good story. Exactly. Yeah, that's very true and very well said. Uh, this kind of goes back to that, that line again in, in Emerson's essay of, you know, your eye being placed for that particular ray of light. Uh, we all have these unique perspectives and, and unique experiences or unique little storylines, tidbits. Uh, but when it's really strong and when it really carries weight is when it resonates with that, that ultimate human truth and the ultimate struggles that we all deal with, the emotions that we feel and experience. Being who we are, doing what we do and having seen what we've seen, I think that's what makes all of us sort of lean more towards character-driven writing um, 
because when when you t- when you think of these things, when you think of emotion and of sort of universal themes like that, you can't you can't not let your characters drive your story. So this takes us back to one of the things that's right at the front of the essay. To believe in your own thoughts, to believe that what is true for you in your private heart is true for all men, that is genius. Speak your latent conviction and it shall be the universal sense, for the inmost in due time becomes the outmost. And our first thought is rendered back to us by the trumpets of the last judgment. That has to be at the heart of us as writers. We have to believe that. We have to believe that our own thought is worthy, that we can write things that are universally true for people. Why else would we keep going, I guess, if not because our thoughts are worth it? Insist on yourself, never imitate. Your own gift you can present every moment with the cumulative force of a whole life's cultivation. But of the adopted talent of another, you have only an extemporaneous half-possession. That which each can do best, none but his maker can teach him. No man yet knows what it is, nor can, till that person has exhibited it. Where is the master who could have taught Shakespeare? Where is the master who could have instructed Franklin or Washington or Bacon, Newton? Every great man is unique. The Scipionism of Scipio is precisely that part which he could not borrow. Shakespeare will never be made by the study of Shakespeare. Do that which is assigned you, and you cannot hope too much or dare too much. That's that's lovely, <laughs> isn't it? You know, I mean, the idea that we that we all have potentially that in us, but we do. We we once we recognise that we do have a unique perspective, that what we say can be universally true for people, that it can have a power when released into the world, and that it can change lives, potentially change society, or at least change people's thoughts. Yeah, and it just it just continues to resonate with the same thing we've already been saying. Uh, the right at the beginning of that paragraph that you just read, insist on yourself, never imitate. Your own gift you can present every moment with the cumulative force of a whole life's cultivation. But if the adopted talent of another, you have only an extemporaneous half possession. It is it's back to the en- so it, envy is ignorance part again. I think. Yeah, like you can try to emulate or learn from whoever you see in your mind to be great, but you're only going to be getting half of anything decent. You know, you're the whole fullest, best thing you can present and do is made up of your life's cultivation. I I like that part a lot. If you take or imitate what someone else does, all you get is that moment in time, but you don't get in Dutch. We'd say a moment of It's like a photograph no, there's no movement and there's no evolution. Whereas in your own life, in your own experience, you've seen yourself grow. I hope you've seen yourself grow. Or you at least realize that you have. Yeah, I, I like how you reference it to a photograph and how Emerson says Shakespeare will never be made by the study of Shakespeare. Because in anybody's work, like you said, it's a photograph. It's just one uh, non-moving, solid representation we have that came out of the experiences in life and the emotions that that person owns themselves. So can we say 
quite plainly that writing is self-exploration. Absolutely. And that goes back to um, what I said earlier on why new writers have such a hard time uh, stepping into a circle of um, feedback or, you know, letting somebody else read your work um, is because it's just basically laying your inner self out there for someone else to examine. So that's a hard step for you to take um, unless you've become confident with that truth of who you are and that your writing represents that. That's actually how I felt when I first started writing stories. I'd, I'd already been blogging about food and about life in general for a while. And I felt completely comfortable talking about my life and, and sharing pictures from my life and from my messy house. But when I started writing stories, I, I hoarded them and I, I, I wouldn't let people read them at first. And someone told me, well, you've been, I've read some of your writing before. Why not this? But it's like the difference between letting someone flip through a, a photo album or letting them look into your soul. I mean, that, that isn't an easy thing to do. I, I agree with AK. For a new writer, that, that must be very traumatic. It was, it was for me at least anyway, at first. It was daunting and I, it was, yeah, terrifying. And then I suppose the mature writer who has become confident in that kind of has a different, not, not to come across as, a, as arrogance, um, but you, you need that um, sort of attitude of what I must do is all that concerns me, not what the people think. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm in denial because I pretend to be perfectly all right with sharing my stories. But when I know for a fact that someone is reading my story right this instant, I suddenly become nervous again. So though not really directly about writing, what, what I think overall this essay gives us is a real look at the inner game of writing. You know, why we write, how we write, how writing makes us feel, the position, you know, positions we take and, and, and its importance. There's not a writer who's committed to his craft that wouldn't benefit from this, from reading this. Yeah, you know, it's like my uh, summary of Emerson's self-reliance for writers uh, would be, would be radio traffic. <laughs> <laughs> it would be that external things are distractions and ignore them. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you have to be a great writer is within you it's within yourself um, of course you need help and support of editing and but that doesn't come until you've written your piece it's still your piece even after the editors have helped you make it into its best version of itself but it doesn't come into existence without you um, being confident in yourself and and the big thing i think is when you really dig into your deep nature, who you really are, you know, you might see things you not like, or you're going to approach things that you're not comfortable with. Uh, but when you gain confidence in that and you just use that as a tool for your writing, uh, I think that's where you succeed. You know, you become confident in uh, what I must do is all that concerns me, not what the other people think, you know, and, and I just like how Emerson says in that particular part as well. It's the harder thing to do. 
because you'll always find those who think they know what is your duty better than you know it. Nobody wants to read a story that has no struggle. You know, nobody, I mean, how would you even write the story that has no struggle? The easy way. And, and the reason is because everyone in their lives, even no matter how it may look to others on the outside, they, you know, you might think that somebody's got it easy or they've got the, the high, smooth road in life. Everybody has those struggles that are just true to being human. Uh, and that's when you tap into your version of that, that's when it resonates with all the readers and that's when you write something really powerful uh, a political victory a rise of rents the recovery of your sick or the return of your absent friend or some other favorable event raises your spirits and you think good days are preparing for you do not believe it nothing can bring you peace but yourself nothing can bring you peace but the triumph of principles i i agree with the nothing can bring you peace but yourself and maybe that's one of the very deep things we're trying to do as writers is write ourselves into peace. Peace or pieces? I'm sorry. Sometimes they lie very close together, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, like how Emerson says, do not believe it. Because after this good moment, there's probably more struggles to follow. <laughs> I think the central message of the entire piece is insist on yourself. And that, that's what we have to do. And nothing can bring you peace but yourself. You, you, you always, as a writer, you're always going to have to go back and, and process everything new that happens to you. That's going to find its way, whether consciously or unconsciously, into, into your work. And that kind of brings me back to the, the word picture he painted of that rose outside his windowsill. It's, it's not thinking... I'm more beautiful than the rose next to me, or I need more petals like that other rose next to me. It's content in and of itself. Well, that's a really good note to end the podcast on. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you to Jasmine Arch. Thank you, Damien J. Clay and A.K. Sander for the lovely company and lovely conversation. And until next time, it's goodbye from Jasmine. From A.K. Sander and from... Me, Damien J. Clay. Goodbye. Bye bye. Oh, come on. Where are my coworkers working at? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's coming through, if you can hear it on the money. Well, you're an action hero. You know, okay. we, um, we, we expect there to be some, um, you know, fires and crimes being called out that you have to go and solve. Well, hopefully not me today. <laughs> <laughs>